Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Mon, good morning, Lyle. Morning, Mon. How's it going? Going great. Yeah. What are you thankful for this morning? I'm thankful because today is my housemate Caleb's birthday. Happy birthday, Caleb. Yes, happy birthday Actually, to it's him. Not, it's, not. it's not his birthday anymore though because it's a delayed broadcast introduction and this was recorded on the 12th of the 12th. And uh, who knows when it's actually being broadcast. Could be the 13th, the 12th, or could be the 24th, the 12th, or could be next year. Could be the 1st of the 1st, 2019, for all we know. But it is his birthday on hey, the 12th. Hey, have fun listening to the show anyway. Yes, indeed, leading up to Christmas. And uh, I'm grateful for my housemate. He's a great guy. And um, we actually had a listener text in their gratitude as well. So this is from Ben in Queensland. He said he climbed one of the Glasshouse Mountains with 20 colleagues for sunrise uh, the other morning and he is grateful for the beauty of God's creation and the time to enjoy it. Ah, fantastic. Yeah, it's nice. Would love to climb a mountain for a sunrise one day. Are you going to do that in uh, on Kilimanjaro when you go to Africa? Oh, man, I hope so. I hope I have a moment spare to climb Kilimanjaro. But yeah, I mean, it'll only take you a moment. It's like, yeah. you know, only yeah. what, 21, 22,000 feet, something like that? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> I'm sure maybe we'll just drive by. We'll just maybe, drive by. If anyone's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, we do want you to call us during the live show one time and tell us about the experience. Our number is one 843 And if you want to listen to the live show, you simply need to go to faithfm.com.au and press play. Just do it on your phone and carry it with you wherever you go. Run it through your headset, run it through your car stereo, run it through your Bluetooth or your aux cord or your tape insert or whatever it might be. It is the way people listen to the radio these days and you need to get up with the times. Yeah. You can also just download the TuneIn app. Absolutely. Download the TuneIn app, get the free version of it. Don't sign up for the free trial. Get the actual free version. And that way you can then just make Faith FM one of your favorites. And that's the easiest way to yeah. listen to Faith yeah. FM so you can, uh, worldwide. Search for Faith FM Australia and, uh, and you can just pop that open anytime you want to listen to the radio. Of course, I, think, I still think the best way to get the live version out to you is to call us up and annoy us. 1-800-FAITH-FM, 1-800-324-843. Call us up, tell us that you want the live uh, lives, uh, broadcast in your area. Oh, and, and we've uh, had people been doing that. Yes, and we'll mm. get our people onto that. So, yeah, G- keep calling us, keep annoying us. We love that stuff. And we will keep passing the message on to our uh, team of engineers and so forth to uh, see what they can solve for you. And coming up, morning, we, Mon. Yes, we have, uh, we have I regrettably no. asked ah. Lyle yes. what his favourite bird was and gave him time to think about it and I regretted it because my oh my did he have a long winded <laughs> answer coming up next. Maybe you can have a think about what bird you like the And best. I'm thankful for pie. It has oh, nothing oh. to do with mathematics. Is this like a, a bird Everything pie? to do with things you put in your mouth. Black but that's all coming pie. up. Stay tuned.
Welcome back. That was Stones of Eden. Walk amongst the trees here on Faith FM. And as we kick off this Wednesday morning, we are going to kick it off with a clue for the quiz. What do you got yes, for us there, Mon? Yes, let's get our brains into gear, guys. Our breakfast Bible quiz here commences. Who am I? Clue number one. I told God I am angry enough to die. That's pretty angry. That's mm. <laughs> you're so angry. You just want to die. Uh, Lyle knows it. He's just written it down correctly. But give us a call one eight hundred Faith FM one eight hundred three two four eight four three. And if you are correct, I will of course send you a prize. Which most I'll interesting character. This soon. person. Most, yes, most interesting yes. character. One of the very famous. Very famous with the kids. This story. Yeah, his story. Should be famous with more than just kids. But anyway. But the kids are particularly... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a favourite kid story. Yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting. So what is happening in the world of positively different news, Mon? Well, Lyle, what's your mm, favourite bird? I have a number of favourite birds. You have a, you're going to start with your wife, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Such a dad She's joke. smoking hot. She is, she is. What's okay, your- so... Um, here is a here is a because uh, I I should uh, let on that during the song Mon asked me you need to know what your favorite bird is so I made a bit of a list oh gosh so my favorite birds as far as attitude go are swallows okay they have the best attitude they're just fun they're always happy swooping and flying and stuff you only have eight minutes Lyle for this okay. segment um, personality though <laughs> I like owls they're like super mysterious and skulking in the shadows uh-huh. and that kind of stuff. Um, appearance, my favourite bird to look at is the bald eagle. Okay. Now, I know every Australian is going to crucify me right now because they're going to say, no, our wedge tail is so much bigger and more powerful. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. But I really like the way the bald eagle looks, his appearance, that, that big white head. It's just uh, very, um, yeah, majestic looking bird. The, my favourite sounding bird oh, is mercy. a North American loon. Oh, here we go. Okay, you hear that yeah. loon and you just in- instantly transferred to just the wilderness just by the sound of it. And as far as intelligence goes, crows. Okay. That, okay. Just like that was a really comprehensive answer that I was not expecting. Yeah, well, I just briefly <laughs> asked you what your favourite bird was. Uh, my favourite birds, I like uh, flamingos, toucans, ducks and whip birds. Whip birds because of the noise they make too. And and European um, magpies because they're much more classy. They're really pretty compared to ours. I want to tell you a story about Al Lawson. He's known as the Bluebird Man. And I have noticed over my lifetime that people are particularly drawn to any birds that are blue. Have you ever noticed that people just love, like, it's a, it's a blue fairy wren or just any sort of bluebird? They're like, oh, wow, because it looks like a piece of sky just fell out of the heavens and is flying around. People okay. love, yeah. yeah. So these, and he's, Whatever. he's known. Uh, <laughs> People just aren't as well thought about out about their bird list as you are, Lyle. Anyway, so Al Lawson, the Bluebird Man, uh, he first read an issue of National Geographic which detailed how building birdhouses could help curb um, the declining populations, and um, and the, which is actually an issue because uh, they they usually reside in uh, in dead or nearly dead trees, and their population began to decline after the invention of the electric chainsaw in the early 1900s. Um, the electric chainsaw in the early 1900s. Yep. Oh, sorry, a bit earlier than that, later than that. But we made it easier for homeowners to get dead trees off their property, right? And so, nineteen nineties. So that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so 
the the population has been declining so much steeper after that. And uh, in addition to having their houses destroyed, um, you know, the implementation of pesticides, it's just been a really disastrous future for bluebirds in America. Mm. And uh, and so this guy, Al Lawson, uh, he read this article that... Bluebirds are spectacular. They're just, oh, magnificent little American, bird. American bluebird. Yeah. North American bluebird. Just amazing bird. Beautiful thing. And so he read he read in the National Geographic that if you build a little birdhouse, it can, it can help them out, right? Mm-hmm. And so... It one day he sees a bluebird going in and out of a dead tree on his property and he became quite inspired um, to set up a little box that could help serve as a nest. And he says here, I got carried away. <laughs> I settled on a simple design that was easy to build and easy to monitor. I kept adding more boxes on these trails and these birds responded. So what started as a hobby to pursue into his retirement turned into a full-time effort. And after almost four decades of devotion, now at the age of 96, he has banded and documented over 30,000 bluebirds thanks primarily to the 350 birdhouses that he's built along southwest Idaho. And he often travels over 5,000 miles to check on all of his boxes during the summer nesting season. (laughs) One man single-handedly brought back the bluebird population from the brink of disaster. That is a phenomenal... Isn't that incredible? I'm going to go home and build a birdhouse and see what comes (laughs) with it. You should. You should. You never know what you're helping. But yeah, a little bit of research can go a long way. And then, you know, not this whole like, oh, I don't know what I'll do like maybe I'll just donate to some cause but actually doing something yourself can can really make it a change make an effect he's now he's almost his uh, 97th birthday is coming up um, but he has no signs of slowing slowing down um, and because of his efforts um, they've actually turned uh, his story into a documentary called Bluebird Man which has just recently scooped up a bunch of Emmy Awards oh there you go yeah, yeah. well done congratulations yeah, so if you actually want to check out this guy definitely want to watch that, uh, yeah. that doco so check it out it's called Bluebird Man and um, it's the yeah, wildlife documentary I'm, I can't wait to see it it's going to I'm I'm so inspired by people who just get out there by themselves, just one guy making a difference, and then who would have thought that could affect so much change? It just blows my mind. I love these kind of stories. So yeah, go check that out, Bluebird Man. It would be good watching. Uh, I want to tell you something else, Lyle. This actually got me a little bit worried, this story. Um, so you know how at the moment we have an ever-declining demand for coal around the world, and so coal mines are actually shutting down. I mean, in the UK alone at the moment they have... I haven't, um, haven't noticed that with the number of coal trains going past my place, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, but apparently there's over 150,000 coal mine shafts that have been abandoned in the UK alone. So that's a lot, And uh, but... You'd think the UK would have run out of coal about... A thousand years ago, I'm I'm sure that these. I mean, it's only such a, it's only a, a, an island oh, yeah. that is X amount of size, I'm sure and these they've been are, digging coal out of it for. I'm sure like these mine shafts aren't years. just the ones that have shut down recently, but the ones that have been you know, collectively mm. shut down over the years. But they're going to be transforming them into perfectly efficient indoor farms. Oh, really? What are they going to yeah. grow? Yeah, this is a bit that worried me because as soon as I read like the first paragraph, I was like, "Uh oh, what grows underground other than mushrooms?" <laughs> <laughs> so I was really worried. And Here, have a serve of mushrooms with coal dust because there is actually um, just south of Sydney, well, a couple hours south of Sydney, there is uh, like an abandoned um, railway tunnel underneath mm-hmm, a bridge mm-hmm. that they that they use as a mushroom farm. They've um, really? yeah, here in here in New South Wales, yep. Uh, 
I've driven past it and uh, they got permission from the government to repurpose it and they just, you know, and they grow mushrooms. It's disgusting. Anyway, <laughs> because what I was thinking, like, you know, because it, it, it might seem counterintuitive. This, this, you know, is, this is this is um, Mon's rant button again, but anyway. I'm, I'm trying not to dance around the edges of that. But yeah, it, it seems kind of counterintuitive to grow stuff in a coal mine because you think like, what, what what's how's the sun going to get down there, right? Uh-huh. As you're thinking, it's got to be mushrooms. But it turns out, um, you know, they have these almost perfect conditions uh, environment for farming um, because the underground tunnels naturally maintain consistent temperatures that are unaffected by weather changes or seasons or the unexpected symptoms of climate change. And I looked at the pictures and that was a huge amount of relief for me because they obviously... It's all like what, hydroponics? Yeah, exactly. So hydroponic light and the pots and stuff, the, um, the trays are all filled with green things. So as far things. as climate change, you've got to, you've got to um, light this place and circulate air oh, and... Do you know, I'm sure if you employed some solar or whatever it is, like lighting is going to be a little worry, especially if you think that they needed lighting down there anyway when it was an operational coal mine. So I wonder yeah. what the nutritional value of food grown under artificial lights is compared, compared to... to real sunlight food grown under real sunlight yeah i would like to know that as well in fact is there any scientists or just some avid gardeners who can tell us that that would be yeah. great to find out because i did wonder like anytime someone says coal mine i always think there's no sun down there so i'm interested to know what they're doing but the scientists and who are doing this venture are, are having a lot of success um growing green things not just mushrooms and um you know, they've started in one coal mine and they're now expanding to uh, other abandoned coal mines in the UK. And of course, the UK famous for being cold. So when it's down there, like cozy, warm underneath in the coal mine. Yeah, like you want to stand at 22 degrees all year round? Yeah, exactly. So, the, I mean, they could probably like grow a mango farm down there or something with, uh, you know, if it's not having the, the cold stuff that's happening on the surface. So... I mean, yeah, mango trees are kind of big. Well, apparently this isn't the first time they've used it. So the World War Two there was a World War Two uh, bunker that, um, provided healthy vegetables to, to supermarkets um, around the UK as well. So one of these mines did that back in World War Two, and uh, and so they they know it can be done, and uh, they're going to do it again. And they're also looking at other abandoned tunnels, like there's former air raid tunnels and all kinds of tunnels. And they're just thinking, do you know what? Just turn the whole thing into a massive system of underground. This gardens. is going to be this is going to be an underground city. This is going to be like the catacombs or Cappadocia or something Isn't like that, where amazing? everybody lives underground. Where I would or, love or, or Lightning Ridge in or like ten years to go as a tourist to the UK and you do like the Chelsea Garden Show and you also do the underground tunnel show where you get to see like all the underground vegetables that England grows to feed itself. This is Anna Beden. I am convinced. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither day.
listening to Anna Beaton with I Am Convinced. Mon, do we have another clue for our quiz that convinces of the answer? That can convince us of the yes, answer. Yes, indeed we do. So it's a who am I quiz and I'm going to give you the second clue now. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Hmm, a couple of quotes from this guy and the things he's been saying. Trying to make it obscure. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, most of the clues that I'm thinking of in relation to this person would be dead giveaways. Yeah, and, and do you know what? After this, they do start to get really easy. But yeah, I think they had to try and get something a little bit harder so it wouldn't be so obvious right off the bat. But yeah. Okay, so I've been watching this whole Brexit thing with keen interest. Yes. And it's just, you know, the biggest disaster I've ever laid my eyes on. You've got, you know, the whole of uh, British politics seem to, seems to be melting down over the uh, the, 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 the Brexit Deal, no deal, whatever's going to take place. And I have a, I have a personal theory, a personal conspiracy theory oh, that is coming to mind. I do love a good conspiracy theory. Yeah. Go on. And that is that you, you sort of wonder, okay, why is it that um, – and, and, you know, we need to interview some people from, uh, from, from the UK to get a, a, a more local perspective on this. But the question is, why is it that they seem to be just so hell-bent on self-destruction? Mm. You know, that's the, that's the real impression you get when you watch British politics right now is that these guys are just, you know, they are totally focused on self-destruction. You know, they've got... Yeah, that's interesting. They've I got, wonder why. They've got, they've got um, you know, bad options, worse options and worst case scenario options. And it seems like, you know, they, they won't go for any of them. You know, it's not, it's not even a situation where, well, this is the, the best of a bad deal. It's like, you know, we're going we're gonna to go for the worst here. That, that's what it just appears like. Now, I'm just, I'm just looking at it as an Aussie from the other side of the world. You know, you sort of get that kind of impression. And uh, my personal conspiracy theory comes down to this. Because you have to wonder why then, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. They are so def- desperate to make the EU work. Mm-hmm. And Britain has come along as the first country to actually challenge that whole situation, and they're terrified that uh, Britain might survive without being a part of the EU. 
And if they don't make the EU work and if they can't defy, you know, Daniel chapter 2, mm-hmm. um, then, uh, you, you know, their whole experiment has fallen apart. And so they would rather self-destruct than see the EU fall apart. So let's like pull the whole UK down on top of ourselves just so that nobody ever, ever, ever dares leave the EU again and England will have to come crawling back into the folds of the EU and they can put the whole thing back together again. That's a, I reckon you might be, yeah. Uh, because it's like, why, else, really why else would you be so suicidal? Yeah. For your entire country. I don't get it. Anyway, maybe. Uh, well, we maybe, can, the, maybe the Queen <coughs> placed a bit on it and now they have to make it come true. I have a, uh, a uh, political commentator from the UK that I'm hoping to get onto the show sometime soon. I'm going to ask him some of these questions. But anyway. Okay, so coming back to the subject of religious liberty, Mon. We've been talking about this again and again and again, and we will not stop beating this drum because this is the most critical issue that Australia is facing right now. And when we look at this concept you know, from the standpoint of Western countries, the question that comes to mind is this. Are we facing a greater threat to religious liberty from the left or the right? Ooh, that's uh, from the from the right at the moment, aren't we? Uh, in, in Australia, our current situation is from the Labor Party, which is the left. Okay. Um, but I thought, I thought the Greens were trying to not push through this thing. I thought they were opposed to it. Oh no, no, the Greens are um, okay. I'm just going to Yeah. Okay, so let's think about this then um, because I want to give you a a slightly different perspective this morning where what you find is in a world that is um, increasingly polarized, religious liberty is actually under attack from both sides for different reasons. I was wondering why you were asking. I'm like, dude, it's coming under from both sides. Like, why is one... Okay, so but for different reasons. And so here in Australia, we've got an attack on the left because of um, sexual discrimination legislation. Um, against schools and churches. and uh, But this one comes out of the United States. This one comes from Texas, where you've got uh, this lady by the name of Lisa Grimaldi Abdul Karim, who is the Republican Party leader for Tarrant County. And, of course, this has uh, created an enormous stir because of her last name. Abdul Karim is an Arabic name. So imagine having someone with an Arabic name who was a Republican Party uh, leader for a county in <laughs> Texas. You know, Those it's Texans just like, would be losing their st- mind. That stealth jihad and, you know, <laughs> it's almost starting to create uh, civil war. Mm-hmm. And then um, on top of that, Dal Easton appointed Dr. Shahid Shafi, um, as regional vice chair for Tarrant County. And so now they're, they're, they're even more losing their minds over, you know, this whole stealth jihad thing that they see coming through because not only does he have uh, a, a, a last name that indicates that he might be Islamic, he is actually Islamic. Oh, mercy. And, and he was supported by um, Abdul, Abdul Karim. Okay, so um, <clears throat> now Abdul Karim's husband... Um, Hadi Abdul Karim is a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's a, a veteran of the Gulf War. Um, he fought as a part of uh, a detachment of Marines from 2006 to 2009. Um, he was their local guide and interpreter. And so you can imagine that these guys put their life on the line far more so than anybody else because they were seen as being traitors by large portions of the community and because of that they were given protection in the United States afterwards and it was usually the Marines that they fought alongside of or the soldiers that they fought alongside of who would fight the hardest to get them 
across to the United States because you know you fight alongside somebody, you become best of mates. You know, you, exactly. You, you know that that creates a bond that is you become a band of brothers, and they get a different perspective because they're over there in the country and they're seeing you know these people are just people, and it's just a tiny percentage Absolutely. of psychos in the corner that are making them giving them a bad name, and so they get a perspective. So he's come to the United States. He's got uh, refugee status. He's a United States citizen. He's uh, um, married this uh, young American girl. Um, and she has now become the Republican Party leader of Tarrant County. And this is just creating the biggest stir that you have ever seen. She's been accused of being a Democrat plant, even though she's never voted Democrat in her entire life. Um, this is all being led by um, um, Dory O'Brien, who is the Republican precinct, precinct chairwoman. Um, and, um, and, and she is the head of a movement pushing to have Dr. Shafi removed based on his religious affiliation. Now, so they can't do that with uh, Abdul Karim because she's actually Christian. Okay. She's married to a Muslim. Okay. They're fighting her tooth and nail. But she's pushing for a vote to have him removed from political power because of his religious affiliation. Now, the whole point of religious liberty is that we afford liberty to everybody mm-hmm. and that we hire and fire based on whether a person can do the job or not in the political realm. I shouldn't even ask. You would not make him, you know, the principal of a Christian school or the pastor of a Christian church because he's a Muslim. You would make him, you know, the principal of a Muslim school or mm-hmm. a, you know, or a, a, a mosque. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Um Recently, um, a local pastor there, Bob Roberts, um, held a program, Building Bridges with um, Fellow Texans, in which he invited uh, the Muslim community to join his church for a church social. They had a social together, they had food together, they played games together, all that kind of stuff. And O'Brien, you know, just spouted out that, you know, eating or having fun with Muslims um, was repulsive and impossible. And having a surprising amount of support um, to the point that there is now a vote scheduled for January 10 where Shafi's status will be on the line over his faith. That, that can't, that, how can that be, Lyle? America has religious liberty. How, I mean, how can they even have okay, the right so to This shows question. you where religious liberty is going in our country right now, or in Western society right now, is going down the drain from both sides. I just got an email recently um, just informing me of my rights when it comes to job interviews and I was impressed to see that on uh, the legal side of things, when you're being interviewed for a job, the interviewer is not legally allowed to ask you what religion you are. Yeah, absolutely. So how can it be, like if that doesn't affect my my capacity to get a job or do a job, how can they tell this guy? I mean, this is the United States. This is the United States where religious liberty is an inalienable right. We don't have that in Australia. We just have a few exemptions in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz uh, stated, discrimination against Dr. Shafi because he's a Muslim is wrong. The Constitution prohibits any religious test for public office and the First Amendment protects religious liberty for every faith. Um, the party of Lincoln should welcome everybody and celebrate liberty and this is somebody who is you know, staunchly Republican, you know, extreme far right and uh, got a very good perspective on this, who uh, stood up for Kim Davis when she was jailed for her faith, for her Christian faith in, um, in Tennessee some years ago. Anyway, this is Melissa Rotto. Enjoy the 
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia. Joining me on the show today is Dean Bennett. Now, Dean is the uh, the CEO. Is that the correct term there, Dean, for the uh, school's company? Yes, that is correct. Oh, yes. Chief Executive Officer for the school's company uh, for North New South Wales Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And, Dean, I particularly wanted to get you on the phone because you have quite a number of schools under your care that are yep. obviously faith-based schools to talk about the uh, the Sex Discrimination Act, um, where it is headed, you know, what has taken place in the last week or so, uh, what the threats or the possibilities might be. Um, really appreciate you joining us today. Now, uh, just very quickly, um, where, are we, where are we up to now with the uh, anti-discrimination legislation uh, in relationship to our schools? So I'm sure for many of the listeners and ourselves, we've been uh, both read in the paper and seen on, the, on TV or listened to radio this week that the, the bill itself, uh, as it was endeavoured to be processed through this week in Parliament's last um, busy week of the year, I guess, um, it's been deferred. You know, the quick answer is that it's been deferred now into February um, and I think uh, when Parliament resumes, I have no doubt it will be front and centre of uh, whatever appears on the floor right at the start of the, the new year process for them. Sure, and I would imagine that you know Scott Morrison had, having made a uh, a very clear promise to do something about you know the possibility that a a student could be expelled from school for being gay. Um, he's going to want to get that uh, promise fulfilled with a uh, with an upcoming election. Uh, look, absolutely, and I would, I would, you know, I have no evidence for this next reflection other than just my own experience and watching our political cycle. But I, I have uh, a belief that we won't even get a bill resolution in February, and that in fact it will get projected into becoming one of the cornerstone debate pieces about the next federal election. Uh, I'm not trying to be. Uh, an alarmist and, and think it can't be resolved, but I wouldn't be surprised if it just does keep getting extended and become a, a pre-election issue. Yes, particularly when you've got a government that doesn't really quite have the um, the power to be able to pass uh, legislation through as easily as what uh, as what they might like to do. So now, getting to the, the the crux of this bill, the purpose of the of the bill in the first place was to you know to disallow schools from yes. expelling students for for being gay. Um, Has that ever happened? So my response, and uh, to simply to say, to my knowledge, no. Now, my my career started in 1990, uh, so I'm I'm commenting from my knowledge base, and I guess my administrative career kicked in in 93, uh, 94. Um, And so in my time in administration, I have, no knowledge of uh, a peer being involved at or one of our schools or even us as a system making that determination. Yeah, and I can't imagine that would have ever been the case, you know, even back when our culture was quite different from what it is now. I I certainly have never heard of this taking place in the in the history of Adventist schools here in Australia. How how long has the uh, have the, has the Adventist church been running schools uh, in Australia for? Yeah, well, I would concur with that, Lyle, because we started our schools in the late, in the, sorry, in the late 1800s. Uh, our first school in around 1897 uh, at, uh, at Avondale 
College at the Avondale site there at Coorongong, uh, one of our first schools started there. And, and I would agree. I, and I think we can be confident in saying that because when we look at the fundamental purpose and intent of us as teachers and educators, it, it is to find and to focus upon and to care and respect for our students. And so I, I just can't ever imagine that of happening, even in our dim, distant past in those early 1900s. So, you know, as I said, certainly in contemporary um, memory, not at all, and I struggle to believe it ever being the case in, in our past. Yeah, I, I'd go as far as saying that I've struggled to believe that, uh, you know, this would be the case, um, you know, throughout that same period that we're talking about um, amongst any of the, the, the private schools here in oh. Australia. It's just, oh. It just seems to be yeah. that, that, that they're making a yeah. law here to solve a problem that doesn't exist. Yeah, because if I made a broader reflection, and, you know, I had a principalship career here in New South Wales spanning just on 17, 18 years, and again, I had a strong connection and engagement with my, let's say, the broader faith component of, uh, of faith-based educators. And I look and I respect greatly my peers in other faith-based schools. And, and I would say the same thing. I, I cannot think of it ever even being a topic as we've come together to talk about shared concerns or, or navigating the way forward for faith-based schooling in Australia. The expulsion or identification um, in a negative sense of, of kids working through gender identity issues and sexual attraction just never made it to the table, mate. Yeah, no. <laughs> a total, a total, a, a total non-issue. A storm over uh, something that doesn't exist. Uh, look, and I think in many ways, yes. You look at us as Adventist schools. It's not, at one point we nearly had a hundred schools here in Australia. Um, and, you know, so you'd say there's enough sample size to start having some variations, but, you know, that's not the case. And even now, as we've got, I think we've got 50 or just under 50, um, it still holds true. Now, whenever you have a situation like this, there are always positives and negatives. What's some of the positives that are coming out of uh, what is taking place in Canberra right now? Yeah, look, I would say very clearly that to me the the largest positive coming out of this debate is the slow morphing, and I think it has become more rapid now, of the of the language and, and focus being less about discrimination than what religious freedom in this country looks like. Um, and I, I hope it does become the central point for the debate because, you know, as I said before, I have no knowledge of um, what is being inferred as being a pre-existing issue of these students being expelled from schools uh, ever taking place. But I do feel that we have a looming um, chasm evolving between a secular and faith-based worldview that's being articulated in Australia. And so I think this religious freedom debate that's, that's emerged is a very positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that we need to be discussing about and we need to... Absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, negatives. Yeah, look... I... This is perhaps more a comment on, on our culture and society than it is about the, the topic itself. But I think the negative in all of this is that it is very much on the populist news cycle platform and was being rushed and we were being caught up in an emotive sequence of allegations, unsubstantiated um, indications without evidence, and, and I think the nation was getting caught up in that. Um, the debate itself, though, uh, I think, as I just said, is one that we must have. I mean, it's, we're talking about the role of government, legislations, um, our conscience, the right to believe, to have faith, 
I think simply assuming that that uh, history allows that to go forward um, is a little naive in this day and age. And so if we can deal with the negative of this populist cycle that it's caught up in, I, I think it is a worthwhile debate. Yeah, and I mean, we're certainly surrounded by many, many countries uh, across the world that have, you know, really stepped in to curb religious liberty and freedom. And, and we look at any of those countries, they're just not the kind of places that, you know, the, a, an Australian would see as being as reflective of Australian culture or where we would want to live or what we would want to be a part of. They're repressive regimes. Absolutely. I mean, um, the, the moment we, we, we lose this pluralistic opportunity to have various views at a government's level, well, I mean, again, I don't want to be alarmist, but we're starting to talk about groupthink and, and state-based um, attitudes that I, yeah, I really struggle to process, to be honest. Sure, sure. Now... Um with the okay, so if we go back to the to the piece of legislation that Penny Wong was proposing yep. on Monday, um, yep. and of course that was blocked by the Centre Alliance uh, senators. Yes, but if correct. that if yep. that had gone through, um, would that have affected the ability of Christian schools to teach their distinctive values, or could it have? Uh, yeah, and, and I think it's more the latter of what you said. Uh, the the language, uh, I think, it was two days ago. Uh, Paul Kelly in the Australian made a really interesting observation where he reflected that in, in many ways one of the, the components of the complexity coming out of the legislation is it would become a legal debate between lawyers. It would be about opinions. And, and I think that's the greatest concern in and of itself is that schools are already such a complex organisation to administer and manage. And I, to be frank and to respect our elected officials, I think... The vast majority, um, whilst they assume they know because everybody's done 13 years of schooling, and I say this again with respect, until you administer and lead a school, which is a community, which is a microcosm of our nation, I don't think you fully appreciate how complex it is. And I think the greatest concern I had about the language that was being used is that the complexity on how we would administer and care for the, the myriad of expectations that a principal or a school leader deals with daily, it, it would have been magnified. And, and that, to me, is still part of whatever the future looks like with this legislation, is that we must give schools clarity to operate under. If we don't have that, and I can tell you now, caring for 25 children that are not your biological responsibility, that have been put together in a class that they've never chosen for a full day, that's hard enough to care for, let alone without a, a bunch of legal opinion that you're going to have to go away to to get validation from um, before you can map your way forward. Yeah, and I have to say, Dean, that uh, you know, having been in a classroom like that and having never um, taught in a classroom like that, um, teachers have my utmost respect. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a challenge <laughs> yes. of monumental proportions, and I think that all of our teachers, there's a big shout-out to all of our teachers right now, is that, uh, awesome. yes, you've, you've, you've you. got our respect, you've got our, our, uh, our, our support, because it is a challenging environment, and it's, and it's a complex Absolutely. environment, and no two students are the same, no two classrooms are the same. And yeah. uh, the, the, the simpler that this can be, the less complex it oh, can absolutely. be, the better. 
Absolutely. Now, coming down to hiring staff and so forth, if we look at, um, you know, say, for instance, the Adventist Church, and I just, you know, quote from the uh, an official position statement by the General Conference, which is the governing body of the Adventist Church, which says that Seventh-day Adventists are opposed to homosexual practices and relationships. Um, Mm -hmm. What what, what happens if uh, somebody who's practicing promoting an LGBT uh, plus um, lifestyle applies for a job in one of our schools? Yeah, okay. So this is not a, uh, an avoidance answer, but more I'll give you a broader context because I would put this object lesson, uh, what we've just identified now, into the broader employment position that we currently have as allowed to under uh, the current employment acts that exist inside Australia, whether we're talking about the Discrimination Act or Equal Opportunity, whatever it may be. So the Adventist school system, and in particular, I'll make direct reference to what I care for in North New South Wales, we are regarded under legislation as uh, a preferential employer. Now, what uh, a preferential employer means is that it does allow us to uh, make our selections of employees, uh, yes, upon skill set, yes, upon school need, yes, upon local cultural context, for example, and yes, upon faith alignment. So it is that amalgamation of that broad representation of what a school would require. So, um, and I say this almost colloquially, but if we were to rank it absolutely, very publicly, and we say that, I say this as I interview people myself, that as a preferential employer, our first desire is to find the high capacity practicing Seventh-day Adventist to fill the role. Full stop. That's sure. like there's no comma, there's no colon, there's no but, it's just a full stop. And that is that is step one. Now, the moment we come to step two then, we make that same comment of we want a high capacity educator. And if that cannot be due to local um, context, perhaps it's geography, perhaps it's demand, perhaps it's the nuance of the role on offer, um, then we look to someone also from an aligned Christian faith background that is committed to Christianity. And then we would take the third step, um, and that's when we start uh, looking at people of, uh, say, a broader faith identification. And then, you know, you get to the very final point, and I say this again with respect, and it is a what would you call it? Is there a hierarchy of, of choice? Uh, and you might get to a situation where uh, the, the filter in that particular region, because of geography, because of a, a demand context, is that you would employ someone without faith that is, um, you know, supportive of the ethos of the school and the culture. Uh, they may not have a faith position, uh, but we do that because we then have a requirement to. Uh, meet our state regulations and have a qualified individual to teach in that space. So I would suggest to you that the question particularly about LGBT plus individuals along with uh, people that have no faith alignment, a a broader suite, well, it would fit into that hierarchy. Um, And, you know, I have no personal experience or knowledge of, of working through an application where... Uh, the LBGT plus um, topic has become part of that process, but it would sit inside that pre-existing hierarchy that I'd say we've had for nearly, gee, was testing my memory, but I would say several decades. 
Yeah, and I think that uh, for a faith-based school to exist, you know, we need to be able to defend that position, and you know, not Correct. just on the, on our behalf, but on behalf of you know other faith-based schools that will take a um, a lesser or a more, I guess, approach to a very similar hierarchy. Yeah, I, I would totally concur because, and again, I'm not endeavouring to be alarmist, but if we were to lose the ability to be a preferential employer uh, and and that became a legislated position, I, again, I'm speaking from my own personal perspective as I look on to what that would mean for us as a faith-aligned educational institution, I think we would have to seriously think about how we would navigate the future. Would we keep our school system in the shape that it is currently? Would we collapse it into smaller entities to allow us a different methodology of delivery or would we, in fact, um, close the doors? And again, I'm not trying to be alarmist. All I'm trying to do is emphasise that the ability to be a preferential employer... um, is is really really important to us? Mm, mm, mm. Could it could it potentially, you know, losing that ability could it potentially close our school system? Oh yeah, look, that that's I guess what I was trying to say in in a subtle manner, and that is, yeah, it could. Mm. We we would have to assess what the legislation looked like and what uh, the expectations back on us were as a result of this, uh, and and then make a determination. I suppose what I reflect upon, and and I only use history here, but I. I look at some of the major, what would you call, tipping points in Australian educational history where there have been uh, quite robust debates between government and faith-based entities and we think of the experiences back in the 60s with the the Catholic system um, closing some of its schools and sending the kids across the state school to reinforce the the need and positioning for faith-based schooling then that state school couldn't just carry the volume. We, We are pretty much still in a similar spot. We're talking in New South Wales. Um, you know, if you were to take uh, Catholic and uh, independent schooling as a subgroup, we're talking nearly 30%, or a bit over 30% of the market. And if that, and again, it wouldn't be the case, but if a large portion of that um, student body suddenly found itself needing to engage in state-based schooling because the entities that were caring for them no longer could um, perhaps deliver the ethos um, representation that they desired, the state system couldn't handle it. Um, sure. It would be impossible for those kids to be put into schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, surely our uh, government and opposition can uh, can see the need for that and one wonders why they would be putting so much pressure on faith-based schools at this particular time. But uh, needless to say, interesting times that we find ourselves in. It will be interesting to follow these movements over the next few months. Dean um, Dean Bennett, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We are out of time, but uh, we do appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and to explain uh, the position of the Adventist Church and Adventist School System here in North New South Wales. Fantastic, mate. No, you're more than welcome. I appreciate it pulling over on the side of the road as I travel at this time of the year to take the time over to That was uh, Dean Bennett, Chief Executive Officer of the Schools Company here in uh, North New South Wales, um, joining us for Faith FM this morning. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide The 
darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail, comforts fail. Help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Swift to its close, ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay, and all around I see. Oh, thou who changest not, abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself, my guidance, take in Through cloud and sunshine, Lord, bind with me. breakdown maybe, long-term hurt, unresolved conflict, you know, it can be dealt with. If you want to break the cycle and start living a more forgiving life, Forgive to Live is a program designed to help us all improve our lives and be more forgiving. Don't let it eat away at you anymore. If you're keen to discover the power of forgiveness, why don't you take that first step and head to forgivetolive.org.au. Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. 